Uh, I'm doing my internship this semester at the College Counseling Center where I'm attending um, graduate school. So it should be interesting. It's one of, sort of one of those holes in my resume. I do have a lot of experience working in various settings with adults with mental illness, um, adolescents with drug problems. I've got experience in schools now at the elementary school level. And just a variety of other settings over the last, well, not the last 15 years, but for a total of about 15 years. But I've never worked uh, on a college campus in a college setting, so this should be interesting and a good way to finish off my academic experience. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, speaking of uh, mental illness, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I just used that term, and anyone who's listened to previous episodes of this podcast know that. One of the things I rail against all the time is this sort of biological reductionism and the notion that uh, so-called mental illnesses basically come down to you know brain disease or brain dysfunction. And I read just a brilliant uh, paper today that echoes a lot of the things that I've I've talked about in the past. It's written by a couple of doctoral students, um, Noel Hunter and William Schultz. And they published uh, an article on a website called Mad in America, which a lot of people consider, I guess, an anti-psychiatry site. I don't really look at it that way. I think it's, uh, you know, really giving voice to um, the voiceless in a way, where a lot of people who've been diagnosed with schizophrenia and other mental illness, so-called mental illnesses, get a chance to voice their perspectives. But in any event, this particular article by uh, Hunter and Schultz, I thought really brilliantly states the case that um, this sort of um, new uh, emphasis on brain-based initiatives that uh, we've seen and both the NIMH, I've mentioned before, they have a uh, initiative called RDOC, which is really looking to change the diagnostic system in the United States, moving it away from uh, DSM categories and toward uh, brain-based, neural circuit-based um, uh, systems. And uh, also, you know, there's the, uh, the whole brain initiative that President Obama has um, put forth. And there's just a lot of funding and a lot of momentum that's uh, looking to transform the diagnostic system away from DSM categories, which, you know, I agree are very problematic for reasons I've talked about in other podcasts, but moving them toward even more biological and neuro-circuit-based system. So uh, I'm going to read just a few snippets from this uh, white paper. I'll I'll post links on integralhealthresources.com so anybody can check that out if they want to read this in full. But here's a few snippets that I'll I'll read that I think are, are really solid that I could then comment on. The brain-based initiatives for clinical research rely on a disease model that is based on an erroneous logic, 
a faulty, reductionistic view of human nature, and a contradiction of the most robust research findings within the mental health field. The brain research conducted thus far actually appears to indicate that most of the conditions referred to us as quote-unquote mental illnesses are likely otherwise healthy adaptive processes in response to extreme environmental experiences. So while it appears that such adaptive processes often do correlate with changes within the brain, and that they may lend to a certain long-term problems for the individual, these changes do not necessarily signify biological disease. Furthermore, brain research has ironically reinforced the benefits of certain psychosocial interventions, such as yoga, meditation, and psychotherapy, thereby negating the assumptions that the resolution of such distressing conditions requires psychopharmacological or other related biological interventions. So as I've said before, um, and this, you know, this quote really echoes that, all this, you know, this notion that, you know, we see changes in the brain or in biology that correlate with subjective experience. Um, I mean, that's just an obvious truth, but it, that has no bearing on the question of whether or not a biological intervention is what's appropriate. Because as I've mentioned before, everything that uh, registers as a subjective experience, something's going on in the brain at that time. And of course, you know, neural patterns in the brain um, are always going to go hand in hand with anything that's going on in subjectivity or in behavior. But um, as the authors uh, mentioned, the irony is not only does um, this basic fact of, you know, neuroplasticity or, or that all subjectivity has a, a correlative um, objective or biological component, not only does it not indicate that biological interventions like surgery or drugs are always appropriate or even often appropriate um, interventions for psychological disorders, really what you see is the opposite as the, you know, a flood of research comes in showing that meditation, psychotherapy, exercise, all these things change the structure of the brain and the physiology of the body. And they're most definitely not uh, biological or pharmacological interventions. They're behavioral or psychosocial interventions that, of course, um, also affect the body and the brain. And so, um, yeah, it's just, uh, if you really look at, at the research, it doesn't, it doesn't support a renewed focus or even further emphasis on, uh, brain interventions or neurocircuitry interventions or pharmacological interventions. Really, it's, it's the opposite. What we're seeing is, you know, there's all these other psychosocial approaches that get a lot, uh, relatively a smaller amount of emphasis and relatively smaller amount of funding and research that really, I mean, this is where the action is. This is really where you want to look for, you know, root causes to things. It's on this psychosocial level in general. Of course, there's always rare cases of uh, genetic and, you know, brain structure scenarios where any given individual, you know, may really need a focus in that direction. But uh, an honest 
overview of research in general if you're talking about how to benefit most people who fall you know below this threshold of an extreme psychiatric condition uh, it's mostly uh, psychosocial issues that are behind the person's distress and, and even behind the person's uh, you know behind the changes that person may be uh, presenting on the level of the brain the authors also go on to say the following is it really necessary to have quote-unquote evidence from brain scans to know that meditation, exercise, and eating healthily have beneficial effects on one's well-being. The only thing this research really seems to show is how much the brain is constantly adapting to its environment. In fact, one could even interpret the findings of many of the brain differences in traumatized and distressed individuals as signs of adaptive functioning, the complete opposite of disease. So again, that's uh, essentially saying the same thing. Where um, it's crazy to me that that people make such a big deal over finding these um, these brain or physiological correlations and miss, you know, the significance of it, or or make it a lot more significant than it really is. So then the authors, um, you know, they talk about the the main negative consequences of focusing on biological brain-based ideologies of mental illness. And in their view, these three main negative consequences are, number one, that focusing on biological brain-based models results in a skewed research funding. And I think that's really at issue here. We're, we're talking about a massive... Um, shift in funding, uh, and we're a real, you know, doubling down on physiological or brain-based models that's, you know, being proposed on all levels from the U.S. government to the, you know, um, most powerful organizations like the American Psychiatric Association and National Institute of Mental Health and so forth. They're really doubling down on this um, biological-based model, and so you know, it's a zero-sum thing. There's limited resources. Only, you know, if you're going to put all your chips in that pot, you know, in that basket, then you're not going to have a lot of resources to invest on, you know, psychosocial uh, stuff, which, in my opinion and in the opinion of the authors, is really where we need to be focusing most of our attention and most of our resources. Another uh, negative consequence of this focus on the brain and biology is that you get biased treatment preferences and you see this you know in my field all the time people think that you know it's it's all about the latest drugs or the latest um brain-based you know implant or something that that's where you know the hope for cures and um radically effective treatment lies with we're really, I mean, we, we're into this now for years and years and years, and and we've been uh, sort of hoping there's going to be some miracle drug or miracle brain-based finding, but, you know, these things uh, just don't happen. And so what's discounted is uh, just good old psychosocial support, um, psychotherapy, things that have also proven to be effective and in many cases as effective or more effective than pharmacological treatments. Uh, 
and uh, you know these are being you know not emphasized as long as you're having um, pharmacological treatments emphasized so and this uh, these biases and treatment preferences are you know result in the final of the three negative consequences that the authors mention which is clinically harmful impacts and uh, you know obviously if you're if you're going to hold out drugs as the the best way to treat mental illness, you know, we already know there's just a host of uh, side effects and other problems that come with with relying on those treatments as your sort of first, your first line against uh, psychological problems. So um, also, so the authors say many of the biological anomalies that one finds with chronic sufferers of quote unquote mental illness are directly caused by the very biological interventions thought necessary to decrease distress. And a lot of times, you know, meds cause so many side effects and so many problems that um, it's hard to know, you know, what symptoms are being caused by quote unquote mental illness and what are being actually caused by the medications themselves. And this becomes, uh, you know, one of the reasons why it's problematic to use medications as a first line treatment. Um, the authors also say, so not only are brain-based ideologies of psychosocial distress unsupported by the evidence and related to the excessive use of dangerous medications, they also have powerful psychological impacts that can adversely influence treatment. And in this, uh, the, the authors here are referring to a lot of research that shows that contrary to what is often purported, when someone is given you know, these biological or brain or chemical imbalance explanations for, for their problems. This is oftentimes, rather than reducing the stigma, as people assume, it's been shown in some studies to increase the stigma and also, you know, increase the person's sense that uh, these things are out of their control and it ends up affecting treatment outcomes in a negative way. So where it was hoped that um, just saying, hey, it's a chemical imbalance, it's not me, it's not my fault. It was hoped that, that this would uh, reduce stigma and maybe help a person improve. It actually, uh, in, in carefully designed studies, has shown that it's just the opposite. It's not good to tell somebody that, you know, this is just something in your brain or in your genes that you can do nothing about because it disempowers people and it actually... Um, doesn't set them up for positive change, which, you know, to me makes a lot of sense. The authors also state, the resources available for mental health research and care are limited, and every dollar and person hour spent pursuing brain-based solutions to the psychological distress comes at a direct cost of those resources available for psychosocial research and support. So, yeah, there, I've already sort of commented on that. This is really a zero-sum game. And it's not to say that brain-based research is, uh, you know, inherently wrong or meaningless or not interesting or couldn't be valuable. It's just a matter of uh, where are you going to put the lion's share of the resources. You know, we ha we've been searching now for how long to find biomarkers and biological explanations, and we're not finding them. 
and this this notion that we're just going to keep doubling down on the approach that's not working is really uh i mean it drives me up the wall i mean it reminds me of um the failed war on drugs as i mentioned in a, a previous podcast uh the author johan hari who put out an excellent book that i'm currently reading called chasing the scream the first and last days of the war on drugs you know makes the case very convincingly that um, our entire hundred year war on drugs in this country rather than making things better which supposedly is the purpose of it has been the very thing preventing things from getting better and it's so obvious that we our view of addiction and the way that we you know we view drugs and the and drug addicts is completely wrong-headed and all it does is create suffering and newer new problems with you know crime and uh you know drug lords and and so many other things it misdirects resources in a million different directions and yet there are so many people in our society that just want to double down on it do it harder and harder and harder and and make it you know to basically just imprison you know uh, half the population and and this is what drives me crazy is that you know so many of the things we do in the field of mental health whether it's you're talking about addiction or you're talking about just our general model of how to treat psychological distress are even though you know the people in these fields are well intentioned the the philosophies and the and the general way we go about things is exactly the opposite of what we should be doing and uh, again you know, I ramble on about this uh, in various contexts on, on this podcast. It all has to do with, I think, just basic failure of critical thinking and biases that are put in place when you have vested interest, money, and various corrupting influences uh, that are too tied into all these fields. And what you what you get is, you know wonderful fancy science uh but actual people that have mental illness not being helped so the careers of neuroscientists you know are going through the roof as they do all these these amazing studies but uh, people aren't actually getting better and as a society our problems are getting worse and worse and worse so it's really a perverse scenario that um you know i'm really hoping that uh you know, articles like the one I'm referencing here can uh, really help to sort of turn the tide. So the authors go on. When we consider the vast disparity between the predominant research and interventions within the mental health field on one hand, and the actual needs of distressed human beings on the other hand, we recognize that our mental health field is in dire need of a radical paradigm shift. From trying to make sense of psychological distress from a biologically reductionistic framework, to one that is more humanistic and needs-based. This essentially involves shifting the general stance within the mental health field from quote-unquote diagnosis and treatment to one of quote-unquote assessing needs and offering support. This would mean focusing our resources on providing psychosocial support for individuals, families, and communities, and working towards a social system in which meaningful and rewarding activity, education, and work is acceptable to everyone. Even in those cases, 
or before I go on, you know, just, um, yeah, that, that quote that I just read, I think really gets at the heart of where the authors are going. Um, it's this, this paradigm shift, this whole language of diagnostic diagnosis and treatment. It's really hard to escape. Uh, even when I'm talking about it, I, you know, I use terms like mental illness and treatment and, and diagnosis and, it's because these are the tools of the trade, but they all imply this medical model of disease and treatment that is just, uh, this is what we need to, I think, just, you know, break out of because this, this, uh, this new model of just assessing needs and offering support, I mean, it, it just makes sense intuitively, logically, uh, it's backed up by the research you know, it's, yes, it's messy and complicated. And, and I think that's another problem. And the authors, they point that out that, you know, people want easy answers. You know, it's much easier to think, hey, it's a brain thing, or and here's a pill, or here's a surgical procedure, and this is what's going to stop it. They don't want to hear, uh, you know, we need to, you know, provide people with opportunities, you know, to have more meaningful lives, because that's just too hard and too difficult and requires too much reevaluation of everybody's lives. And, and yet, you know, as difficult as it is, that's what has to be done. And that's what's, you know, all the research, when viewed with uh, some sanity and clarity points to. But again, you know, it's, it's really about easy answers. It's about who's going to profit off this and that and not so much about what's actually going to make things better and that's you know that's unfortunate and um finally the authors uh they also note the following even in those cases in which the specific needs or other causal factors are unable to be identified the evidence suggests that when a person's basic needs are addressed such conditions of psychological distress still naturally recede over time and in those rare cases where such factors are unable to be identified and addressed, and which the condition does not naturally recede over time, some psychoactive drug support may be beneficial, as long as it is used in minimal dosage for minimal duration and only with the individual's fully informed consent. And so this is, uh, this is something I've also mentioned before. It's not, this isn't anti-drugs or anti-brain research, um, uh, that that I'm spewing or the authors are spewing. There's a place for it, but when you really start to dig around, you realize it's the very rare case. It's a tiny slice of people that have extreme, unremitting problems that benefit from uh, exclusively pharmacological or brain-based treatments. People like um, that get electroconvulsive therapy, where everything has been tried to help alleviate the depression and nothing has worked. And so, yeah, why not try something that's, uh, that's, uh, really intense, like electro, um, convulsive therapy or people that have, you know, such florid hallucinations that they're a danger to themselves or others. And, you know, you've, you've really tried just about everything. And so, you know, some drug intervention, uh, could actually be helpful to these people. But that what we actually see is that those people, the people that really, really need the pharmacological treatments or the ECT, 
tend not to get them because we tend to treat them by arresting them. And, you know, our jails are full of people like this. So we, we don't really get the treatment to these people, but we get plenty of drugs to the quote-unquote worried well who don't really need it because when you're uh, getting to the real psychosocial factors, again, it's easier to write a prescription than to focus your energy on what's going on in someone's life. And of course, when these things are, the psychosocial factors can be identified, it's very obvious that that's the approach that you want to take. You know, if somebody's uh, teenagers flipping out in school and having all kinds of issues and you find out that parents are going through a divorce, you know, you, of course, you, you lend support because you realize that it's the psychosocial element that's the causal factor. A lot of times, of course, you can't identify cleanly what these psychosocial factors are, but the authors point out that even when you can't really identify them, still just providing basic support, psychotherapy, uh, etc., tends to be all you need for the person to get better, at least over time. Um, so even if you, you can't quite figure out what's going on, your first instinct should be the psychosocial interventions. And again, the place for medications, the place for electroconvulsive therapy, and maybe some futuristic brain implants, they're in the cases that um, these things just haven't worked. You know, we've tried the psychosocial approaches. The person's suffering is just um, too extreme. It's unremitting. So then, of course, uh, as a... Um, more of a last resort, you're going to go toward these, these other forms of treatment. But we have it backwards. You know, we want, um, we want this, the prescription to be, to be written right away. And then, you know, sort of lip service paid to the, the notion that we're going to get our lives together or figure out things on a psychosocial level later. So anyway, I think I've rambled on long enough. It's a great article. I'll, I'll post links to it on the on the website and I encourage everybody to read it and, you know, give feedback to the authors. If you, if you like, um, their ideas or share it on your various platforms and, uh, I'll check in with you with something new next week. Bye.